Heroes of the Realms, a quick preface to what turned out to be a marathon episode, even by Sparks and Rec standards, guys. Uh, we're going to have to split this up into two parts. So just to um, give a quick roadmap of what's going to happen, part one will be the intro. Uh, then we'll jump into what would you do and then respond and react to the great Rob Doherty interview with Sam and Larry from a few days ago. Uh, we'll round out part one by finishing off our discussion on how and when to burn your abilities that we started with Filterphobe a few episodes ago. So we're going to finish that off, wrap up part one there. And then part two, we'll start out with the uh, monthly meta mashup. Then we'll do the reviews and ratings for Hunters and Travelers, which are two sets of cards about to hit beta and the public app before too long and round things out with community roundup and tap it or scrap it. All right. in part two, hope you enjoy the two parter. Happy holidays. This is probably the last ep of 2023. Uh, and also double dubs is last before he goes on a paternity leave for a little bit. Uh, so enjoy it. And we'll see you on the flip side. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to Sparks and Recreation, your source for info on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realms. Part of the Realms Rising Network. Heroes of the Realms. That's right. When you hear those dancing violins, you know it's time for your favorite bi-weekly Hero Realms-related podcast called Sparks and Recreation. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Jigmalinkba to the Rooks. <laughs> and uh, here we are, ladies and gents, episode 40 freaking 7 uh, it's, it's blown by so fast. We had an emergency episode, as you may have heard a few days ago, episode 46, an interview with the man, Rob Doherty himself, the CEO of wise wizard games, uh, brought to you by our own Sammy Scrapforce Parsons and Larry Horgel Bogucki. Uh, quite an interview it was, and, uh, lots to talk about, lots to respond to. We're going to get to that in a bit, but before we do, um, we got to introduce everybody else who's here with us today. Uh, I am not rolling solo, thankfully. Uh, we're, we've got a three-way going on today. But that doesn't mean there isn't a solo artist amongst us. The one, the only, Double Dubs, Chris Wahlberg. How's it going, buddy? I'm on a roll. It's time to go solo. Hey, hey, hey. How is it going, everybody? Hyped to be here. Thank you for the introduction, my man. Um, you know, I'm feeling like we got to make this a good one because I'm quite likely to be on a brief hiatus from the pod in the near future here. I've kind of, uh, let some folks know, and I think probably even mentioned it on the podcast before, but baby number two is due in the near future here. And so, uh, 
Yeah, my wife uh, is a candidate for induction starting on the 11th, and her due date is the 17th. So things are going to be happening, people. And, uh, you know, I'm still going to be around in the realms. I'm going to be hanging out in the server. Um, I'm going to be cruising through those levels with all of you guys but like the regularly scheduled content like the pod and the uh the stream i'm gonna put a little pause on but i'm you know i'm gonna be excited to like play the game more <laughs> like i plan on doing that and maybe even get into some of the lewis stuff or even try to chip in on the website a little bit because those are all like easy to do at like whatever random times that i have so that's kind of what i'm looking at um and yeah, so I'm I'm hyped for the episode. Uh, that's what's up for me. Nicely done, man. Nice your your meandering explanation of preparing <laughs> for a second child is a perfect perfect uh, microcosm of what life is going to be like. Don't believe what anybody says, buddy. A second kid doesn't make anything more complicated. You're going to get tons more sleep. Everything goes much more smoothly. There's no chaos involved at all. You're going to be so surprised how simple life gets after your second kid. <laughs> Jake, I'm I'm really banking on some of the advice that you gave me, which was that like we we got it made because we're still a one to one ratio of adults to children. You know, we're That's not right. like exceeded by the children, which is when you really start to run into some of those problems that you're describing yeah. there. Yeah, you can still use man to man defense, so you're still you're still fine, buddy. You're, you're still fine. <laughs> yeah. We expect you to be back uh, 30 minutes before each podcast recording and 30 minutes after to help with. Um, everything after it's just kidding buddy of course we know how it goes and any uh capacity that you can continue to join the podcast even after number two will be greatly appreciated but yeah uh, yeah but what, what an exciting time you're heading into the holidays you got a newborn on the way so many good. fun things in life to good. look forward to but yeah life awesome is good. All right. Uh, before we, you know, sink too deeply into the sentiment sentimentality pit of uh, <laughs> child child raising uh Let's go to um, our third host today, the youngest host in the Sparks and Rec uh, ranks, one who doesn't have to worry about kids yet, and I'm frankly quite jealous of him because of that. (laughs) Cooper Filtrophobe Fitzsimmons Patrick Gerald is here today with us. Just kidding. I know it's Fitzgerald, uh, but I'll never live down getting his last name wrong on the uh, podcast we, when we introduced him as a host. Uh, my introduction is already going longer than his reaction to the intro is probably going to be. How's it going today, Coop? Yeah, it's going great. Uh, it's nice and warm in Sydney, so I've got a fan on. Um, and yeah, <laughs> thanks for uh, getting my name partially correct this time. You remembered with the Gerald in it. It was, it's always appreciated. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here and to share uh, my child, not quite as physical as Dubs's will be, uh, the monthly better mashup. Um, yeah. yeah, should be a lot of fun today. And yeah, some ac- absolutely exciting news we got out of that interview uh, that just spontaneously appeared while I was live streaming. That was also pretty fun. Um, <laughs> that was great. Sam, Sam didn't even realize, like, Sam, I was just sitting in a Discord call with um, uh, with Dusto trying to sort out some audio, trying to sort out some webcam issues. And then Sam just pops up right as that finishes and starts ranting about the whole thing. He didn't even realize it was on a live stream. <laughs> He's like Love it. loud whispering from his friend's house where there's like a baby <laughs> sleeping and he's like, yeah, they're going to release two levels at a time. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Now, just to lift up the curtain a little bit here for our, for our beloved listeners, Sammy Scrapforce Parsons, by the way, this very same person 
who has forgotten to show up for uh, multiple recordings, including today. He, he totally forgot we were recording today and he's not here, but he wow, is forgiven. Wow. He's forgiven because he comes through big time with interviews like he did uh, at PAX Unplugged. Of course, Larry as well uh, stepped up big time and snagged yeah. Rob Doherty and got a really great interview. And in fact, I would suggest, even if you don't listen to the whole interview, before you get into our reactions uh, in a few segments from now, go back and listen to that interview if you haven't yet, because it, he gives a lot of informa- information about what's going to be happening with the game in the coming weeks, months, and even years, I think, if you look at the grand picture. So it's really, it's a really great interview. Thanks to Sammy for that. Uh, but still can't um, fail to dig at him when he misses yet another recording just because he forgot it. Even though we were talking about it literally like within 48 <laughs> hours on Discord together. Uh, anyways, um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to all of our patrons, our supporters, our listeners, our Discord members, our community players, everybody. Thank you for being such a part of this great and wonderful community. You make it all worthwhile. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I don't think there's anything big to announce on Hero Helper. Uh, Filtro, do you, I know you you access this in more ways than the rest of us do, aside from Sammy, I think. Uh, have you noticed or heard any um, things in the pipeline for Hero Helper? If not, that's uh, okay. I haven't heard anything necessarily in the pipeline for Hero Helper, um, but it will be good to know that when we, spoiler alert, uh, Arena Games are tracked for Hero Helper. So when that um, part of the discussion comes up, uh, all of your level 16 games played in Arena will be recorded. Awesome. That is actually good news. All right. So Hero Helper is ready for Arena and Level 16 coming up, which is going to be fun to talk about, by the way. Uh, Filter, why don't you keep going? Give us a quick teaser about um, the monthly meta mashup. Yeah, so um, since the last monthly meta mashup, we've seen two balance patches. Uh, The first one was the Monk nerf uh, and the Barbarian buff. Um, We'll definitely dissect that one, but safe to say that the Barbarian is even more powerful than the Monk was. Um, And Mm. after that, we'll... um, Take a. It's only been out for about two weeks now, I think. The most recent patch. The data's not quite as good, but there's still enough there to talk about it. Um, how they've nerfed the barbarian back down, buffed the monk up again, and also nerfed the bard. So, just have a quick look at all of those. Uh, we'll skip over production because it's the same as all, and it's about to change dramatically. Um, and a lot of those other ancestry classes have pretty. They're pretty stable at this point. Nothing's really changing. Yeah. Good stuff. Looking forward to that. And just a quick reminder, too, to the listeners that if you haven't checked out Filtro's write-up on the Realms Rising website for his monthly meta mashups, do so. They're awesome. Just a wealth of information, really good breakdown of where the meta is at right now. And it's a good companion uh, to read before or after you listen to, to this discussion. So definitely check that out as well. All right. Uh, before we continue on here, Dubs, why don't you give us a quick overview? What do we have planned for the episode today? Yeah, well, you know we're going to be kicking it off with What Would You Do? Today's was submitted by Logan K. Stewart. Thank you, buddy, for your submission. We're then going to devote a good chunk of time to some reactions to the interview with Rob Doherty. And so that should be good. We're also going to do kind of like a sub main focus where we chat about burning your abilities. You may remember from what was... A few episodes ago now, the last one that Filtro was on, I believe, um, we were going through the different class abilities and when you may 
consider burning through those. So we did the first half on that previous episode. I think it was 43. And so now we're going to tackle the second half of that. After that, we're going to cruise into the monthly meta mashup. Really looking forward to getting into the data we're seeing there. And then we decided um, as part of that interview, we found out that the sets of hunters and travelers from the overall journey set are going to be what hits retail next. So we went through and we we're going to break down these cards. We did a little bit of a tier maker uh, where we kind of organize them through, but we're going to discuss what is in those cards. Um, depending on the time, we might get into a little ancestry almanac, but for sure we'll be closing out with a community roundup and a tap it or scrap it. So plenty to get into. Stay tuned. What would you say you do here? Well, I'm the cream filling inside your Twinkie. I'm faction and deception right into crime spree. Marvel at the way that I spit these jams. I'm a small folk wizard treasure map in hand. Or maybe Olga Fighter. No, that would be lame. I put too much pride in the thinking man's game. You know, without a lot of draw, the game gets dull. And that's why I sacrifice my silver skull. Amulet, that is, it's a hell of a god. I use it all the time to destroy the bard. When he loses to me, he sings a real sad tune. But enough out of me. What would you? do what would you say you do here great stuff i wonder how long it's going to take before we get sick of that uh intro but (laughs) i still love it and and that's all that matters uh all right guys here we are (laughs) with um what would you do number 42 um Dubs, you do such a good job of painting the scene. I'm going to let you do it. Uh, oh, you you seem primed and ready to go for it, man. <laughs> I, I, I was about to, and I looked at it, and I said, you know what? Let's just let Dubs do it. He's, he's much yeah, better than I. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> well, well, everyone, as you know, uh, the What Would You Do segment is contributed by community members like yourself listening. We would love to receive submissions from you, the listener. If you have a great scenario to submit to us, please reach out to anyone on the podcast uh, via direct message on Discord. Send us the screenshots. We are going to want to see the complete game state. Uh, including your deck, your discard, your opponent's deck and discard, along with the little in-game menu that shows what level and turn it is. For this specific game, we are playing level 14. It's the very first turn of the game. We are playing as a human ranger against a human fighter. This is part of Logan's banned event where a lot of the popular metagame choices were banned from the competition. So we'll see some unusual skills and abilities and items that are chosen here. So we'll kind of go through and run through the builds really quickly. Um, For track, we're on the 3-2 track that only costs one gold to use. We're on the ability that stuns two champions and gets one arrow back. And we also are missing our cloak. We have the bracers instead, which give you extra damage if you have an arrow out. Um, We have the compass in our deck, 
along with the snake pet, the parrot, and the crossbow for upgrades. So a lot to visualize there. These pictures will all be on the Discord, in the Discord channel, as well as on the website and in the show notes. So check that out if you want to follow along any further. The fighter, I'll keep it pretty simple with the fighter. The most unique thing that they have going on is they have the draw two ability that they have taken. So let's get into what is on the row and what is in our hand and what is the real crux of the decision here. So in our hand, we have Horn of Calling, Pathfinder's Compass, and one Black Arrow. On the row, we see a lot of heavy hitters in the form of Elven Gift, Elven Curse, Spark, The Rot, and Kraka High Priest. So what has happened here is Logan has played the Pathfinder's Compass and has revealed the following five cards. Snake Pet, Black Arrow, Gold, Ruby, gold so the compass is going to let us discard one of those cards and then rearrange the remaining four in any order so that is the situation as we've laid it out here Um, i'm going to take a pause before getting into my thoughts or the discord which one of you guys wants to jump in first with what you think you want to do in this situation i'm going to go first because i'm going to be i'm going to have the worst take on this uh ranger is probably one of my least played uh characters in the last I don't know, six months or so. I haven't played a ton of Ranger. I used to play a lot. I'm proficient with it, but um, let me just give my take on this really quick because I haven't thought a lot about this. But looking at it really quickly, I think you got to go for Elven Gift plus something else here uh, and probably burn your uh, snapshot in doing so. So what I'm going to do is uh, discard probably the arrow with the compass, rearrange things so that um, do we want my, do I even care about the snake? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, maybe I actually want to leave my snake out for next turn. So wait, how, how are we going to do this? Actually, I'm not going to be able to get a bow, am I? So throwing no, away yeah. the arrow, throwing away the arrow is kind of pointless. Um, especially since we don't have the ability that returns two arrows you might be able to make a case for that mm -hmm. since next turn you would then have two arrows in your discard but that's not going to be true i mean it could be true but you won't be able to return both of them so at most to optimize you probably only want one arrow you know what i'm going to do you know i'm going to go simple here i'm not going to overthink it uh i'm going to throw away the uh i'll I'll throw away one of my uh, golds i guess with the compass rearrange So I have, I guess it doesn't really matter how I rearrange it. I'm going to buy an Elven Gift and call it a day and turn. I'm not going to save any, I'm not going to use any of my abilities or I'm not going to use my snapshot. I'm not even going to use track. I'm just going to buy Elven Gift and call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, And this, uh, this fighter opponent is going to have the chance to crack their ability to draw two and scoop up both Elven Curse and Spark basically guaranteed you all right with that yeah yeah but i mean if i use my the best thing that can happen is i can probably get elven curse and spark or if i want i can get rot and spark right if i want yeah yep Yep. Uh, but is is that gonna be worth burning my thing first turn maybe it is (laughs) yeah okay well it is a it is a line to consider the elven gift and pass and then bank those resources for a future turn so that maybe you can like 
explode and get the croc yeah. next turn and rot. Hopefully he doesn't then, get the rot. Yeah. Or maybe I can yeah. get croc next turn even and use that to try to stay with it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to have the worst take on it. That's why I went first. Uh, Coop, let's go to you. What would you do here? Um, spoiler alert for the discord conversation. Uh, exactly what the discord said. Um, so compass is going to get rid of a gold. We're going to put the Ruby on top of deck. Uh, we're going to snapshot, go up to four gold and buy Elven curse and spark immediately. Um, the theory behind this is that this is going to be a very fast paced game. Um, we are playing against a fighter. Uh, if they get spark and Elven curse, and no consistent healing drops. Kraka's not enough by itself. You need more than Kraka to survive against Fighter. Um, if nothing else drops, you're going to need to win that damage race. Uh, and Elven Curse and Spark on turn one is a very good way to win a damage race. Um, and that's my take on the matter. Uh, yeah, just burn that snapshot immediately. Get those two really good cards to synergize well. Um, if I wasn't playing against a Fighter, I'd probably snapshot for the Rot and the Spark on turn one. Um, but... Yeah, uh, that's just because, again, if it was a slower game, I'd want that Rot on the first turn because Rot is just so important in any game that goes beyond turn 10. Um, and yeah, Spark's a really good pickup, and the only way we're getting all of that is with a snapshot. So I'm always snapshotting turn one, and because it's the fighter, we're getting Elven Curse over the Rot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like those points. The thing that I wanted to call out specifically that was like a takeaway from me for this What Would You Do is the way that I believe sacrifice is a, uh, can be a major trap against fighter. I think that like death touch is a greater offender of this than the rot since the rot it's better damage, especially if you're factioning it and you really don't want the fighter getting a copy of the rot, but especially death touch. Like you don't really want to buy death touch as the ranger against the fighter with some exceptions, but just generally watch out on that is kind of what I wanted to say. And um, yeah, pairing those greens together makes a lot of sense. I think let's dive into what the discord had to say, because uh, Filtro, you had a little bit that you wanted to add in with kind of like how that conversation flowed through as well. Right. Okay, cool. So on the voting, it actually came out. Um, that yeah people were gonna do elven curse spark and crack their ability as awesome as was the first to chime in saying drop gold rearrange so the ruby is your first draw pop the ability and considering probably a short game elven curse and spark keeping the arrow and the snake pet ensures you bring a bow in the next hand and most likely flip the deck with either a market purchase or fire gem for a damage heavy next deck. So just picture what you're doing there. Your second hand is flipping the deck with these two greens being right next to each other that we know how great they are in combination. So I really like how as awesome as um, kind of foresaw where the next turn was even heading and how he could shape his deck to really uh, punch that fighter in the mouth. So I like that. He goes on to add Elven curse no longer gives fighter damage. And the rot won't lead to an early game win. If lucky, we might even set up the next deck for enough econ for Kraka. Um, Eindelus chimed in a little bit. I don't want to muddy the conversation too much because I think uh, he pushed back but then realized that we can get Spark and Curse this way and and decided to agree with that. So we're going to fast forward past that a little bit. Um and say that 
Eindelus is about 50-50 for reach on the compass, and he's not sure that he would have compassed right away, referring to the compass being able to reach a bow or not. Um, it might still have been the best. I like to even to get a bow, really. That was a pretty decent chance. And then as awesome as saying the compass was to hope for a parrot, I reckon, which Logan Stewart confirmed that was indeed the angle that he was trying to take there. <laughs> um, let's see. And then Filtro chimed in saying it's important to note that it is incredibly unlucky to see no bows or parrot here. Uh, why don't you jump in there, Filtro? Why? What, what yeah. are we looking at? All right. So we've got nine cards in deck. Three of them are really good to see off this compass. Um, and all three of them are in the four cards that we haven't seen from compass. Uh, so <laughs> Brutal. So the it's, way you want to... It's that shuffling yeah. conspiracy, guys. Come on. Yeah. No, we know exactly the reason behind this. Yeah. So... I've pulled up the hypergeometric calculator because um, the odds to calculate this are a little more clunky than might first appear. You might think, what's the odds of four or nine happening three times? But it's not quite that. Um, it's uh, what we do for the hypergeometric calculator is we've got a population size of nine because we've got nine cards in deck. Um, there's number of success in the population is three because three cards that we want to see. Uh, the sample size is five because we're seeing five. Uh, and we want to look for at least one. The odds of not finding at least one is uh, 4.7%. Uh, so What? <laughs> wow, that's like 1 Unlucky. in 20. It was, it was yeah. a 1 in 20 chance that he whiffed like that. Yeah, Brutal. 1 in 20 chance to whiff, and if he found Parrot or um, Bow there, uh, depending on the order of the other cards, we might have even seen an Elven Curse, Elven Gift, and Spark pick up. Um, yeah. And that would be now. See, and that what—that's when I was thinking like, um, save it for next turn. But you're right; the the fighter's going to be able to get both of these. And you know what, filter you 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 I, with it, you might not have put it like this, but anytime you can get Elven Curse and Spark in your first turn, yeah, you, you got to do it no matter what. I don't care how many abilities or what you have to burn to do it. I think you just got to do it. And yeah, I was probably. Underthinking uh, I'll, that I'll, I'll push back on that because sometimes you can buy two elfin curses instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. well, well put. Yeah, like that's one. That's one situation where you you would you would choose not choose the spark. Yeah, I think this is really good. I just want to say thanks to Logan for submitting a really cool. What would you do with the compass involved? Because this is a kind of a new um, twist on things that, that we usually look at. So this is a good. Really yeah. nice submission from we're, him. Yeah. We're happy to do the ones where it's like a stacked market and it's like all these cards are good. What should I do? Like, and that's kind of like the most normal one we see. And that's cool. We like that. But like when it's when it's other stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a spicy decision. Like, so yeah, keep an eye over those. We we love to get more of those. Keep the the usual ones coming too, of course. But uh any any like off. How how Logan K. Stewart to send an off meta, what would you do, right? <laughs> uh, you know, because he's our off meta man. Yeah. Shout out to you, buddy. Anyways, I think that about does it for the segment. Any closing thoughts on this one or no, that was a good one. As always, guys, I think we're actually I just got a new submission from uh as awesome ass this morning for a future what would you do? And I think we're starting to run a little low. I think we're running close through episode forty nine or fifty. 
please submit your what would you do's. Give us some screenshots. We're always happy to get those. I can whip them up into a cool-looking graphic and have the community vote on them, and we can discuss them on the podcast. So thank you so much for those submissions, guys. All right, guys, I think we're good. Let's transition into our main focus for this episode, the reaction to the Rob Doherty interview. All right, guys, let's get right into it here. We had a really uh, kind of deep diving interview with Sam and Larry, uh, who were talking with Rob about the future. And this isn't like, you know, the first time we've talked about this with him, but it's the most recent update we've had from Rob about kind of the future of the game. All right. And Cooper gave a really good kind of summary of the different things we'll be looking at. Uh, he mentioned also, uh, um, the uh, arena is actually going to come back into the forefront again. Uh, but pe- probably the biggest news, at least in terms of the uh, retail app or the whatever we we're calling it these days, the, the main app that is available to everybody, is that Cleric Ancestries are going to be dropping. Probably, maybe even by the time you listen to this uh, podcast, it might be available or just about to be released. I think he said Wednesday, uh, December 6th, U.S. time. It's going to be the start of Ancestries, guys. Now, they're not going to release everything at once. Um, They're going to do it piecemeal, which is probably a good idea. Although, maybe that's a good place to start, guys. What did you think? How how are we going to react to this? Basically, he gave an an overview of the packages or the kind of the release schedules that they're thinking of and how they're going to do this. Dubs, what did you think about this after listening to the interview? So I, th- my like gut preference is that I would have wanted to have it all come out at once. From the player perspective, it is a little overwhelming to open the floodgates like that, because um, all of a sudden you feel like you have a ton of characters to level, and I'm still not even done leveling ancestry characters, you know. So I kind of see that side of it. But additionally, what he let us know was that those art pieces that we've seen for the ancestries in the beta version of the app those aren't finalized and that once they get the finalized version of those ancestries that's when it's going to be released out to the public in that order and so to me knowing the why always goes a long ways in terms of like it sounds weird to say accepting a decision or something like that because like even if i weren't to accept it there's nothing i could do about it right mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, like you know like about it yeah right yeah like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm less i'm not going to complain about it because i understand why and i get it and it makes sense he doesn't want people to be paying their money for uh an unfinished product and i'm you know i support that decision that he's making there um but that does kind of bring in another side thing and i hope that people don't say like oh wise wizards is trying to milk us for all the money that they can which is that i do believe he said you're going to have to purchase these ancestries individually right and i think that that is going to turn some people off yeah it it is nice that you're going to be able to spend gems on it because the kickstarter backers of the app did get these gems so for them to be able to spend their gems on uh in-game purchases of course i think is great um 
but yeah, that's just like a small little thing that I could see. Well, legendary backers get all the expansions anyways, I think. So whether it's gems or not, I don't think it matters too much, but, uh, well, true. I just mean like from the greater perspective, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I don't, and and I wonder what the price point is going to be. My guess is it's not going to be too expensive, like three, four bucks maybe per. I, yeah, I think it's because I did buy, um, call to arms and, um, uh, the extra heroes prior to um, getting a Legends account, I think that mm-hmm. probably all cost me about 10 AUD all up or something, like mm-hmm. a Call to Arms expansion and access to level 12 at the time uh, and, you know, three new classes. That wasn't a lot of money, so I can't imagine Ancestries will be too much. Yeah, I don't each. think it's going to be too bad. Yeah. Also, I would be surprised if after all of the Ancestries are released, there isn't some sort of bundle or something where you can buy everything together for a little cheaper. I, my guess is they'll probably do something like that. I think... There's similar pricing for Star Realms, although I can't confirm that right now. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I also no. just want to point out that I personally am a fan of how uh, WWG is doing a lot of their uh, pricing in-app, where they're turning around and saying, here's this one thing that you're going to buy, and you're just going to get it forever, um, rather than any sort of like season passes or Your subscription some more predatory sort of microtransaction sort of stuff. Totally agree. It's everything, every, what you see in the package is what you're going to get. So I'm That's really a great kind of point. how they're doing the monetization. Yeah, agree. And it's not yeah, that expensive, guys. It's, yeah. it's pretty cheap. Yeah. If it's only a couple bucks per character, you can't complain. Yeah. Um, but for me, though, yeah, my reaction was, why aren't we doing all these at once? And then I heard the reason why. Okay, yeah, you, want to, you want to have finished artwork. And I guess it's good to kind of ease it in a little bit, and especially with the cleric. Like, cleric's a perfect class. It's the underpowered kind of unloved class right now. Let perfect it have its moment. moment. <laughs> yeah, perfect one to throw ancestries in and let it. It'll actually be able to hang, I think, a bit with with yeah. the other with the other characters. But you know, this is kind of <laughs> the Pandora's box is going to start to open now as ancestries start mixing in. And and I'm assuming like the well, we'll talk about the arena in a moment. But I'm assuming everything is going to be mixed together in the queues and everything. Like uh, ancestries will be paired against humans, et cetera, et cetera. Once the ancestries are populating the queue, the poor humans are going to uh, kind of ride off into the sunset unless something is done. And one of the kind of things I was a little sad about from the interview in terms of something that wasn't asked was, what are you guys going to do about the humans? Because they're uh-huh. in big trouble, in I'm, my opinion. And later down the line, once all the ancestries come out, no one's going to play them anymore, guys. They're too I've- weak. I briefly remember um, Rob talking about how they were kind of getting, they didn't, weren't getting enough data out of the beta queue to really make any calls and ancestries. So I think that's, I think we probably might see some balancing once everything does go to retail and there's a much larger sample size. Um, and I think that was maybe potentially alluded to that they just weren't getting enough data out of beta to actually make any meaningful decisions. Right. Well, I mean, I think, all right, here's another thing we can talk about. Uh, and we're kind of jumping a little bit, but there's so many there's so many things he talked about and so many things that kind of piqued my attention. This is one of them. Uh, and talking about the amount of data they're getting, how they need more data or uh, you know significant statistical uh, data points to make effective decisions, totally get all of it, right? Uh, but that's what happened. When you have a sp- pretty small beta pool, you, you, you got to work with what you have. All right, and when you have a lot of uh, players who play the game a lot, 
who are highly skilled in my opinion, who are making uh, observations and suggestions as to the balancing. Saying you don't have enough data is kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit in my opinion. I'm trying to say this without being too critical because I think they're doing the best job they can in terms of balancing. But like saying we need more data, we need more data. You have some data and you have people giving you opinions. And there's not only that, a lot of the opinions and critiques of the kits and the balancing and the power curves of the characters are made almost instantly when the characters become available. So players are like, oh, this looks problematic or let's, you know, we still try it, we still play it. My point is, a lot of the players in our uh, community identify problematic area, areas with these various characters. We play them out. It happens. Then they get changed. And it's kind of this process where, and this might be part of the fatigue of being a beta tester, is it doesn't move, the testing doesn't move at the same speed as you're hoping for, as, as you can see or as you might think. And maybe that's a good thing because we can be wrong as well. But uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of responding to Rob's idea that they need more data. Of course, it's a good thing. And once shifts happen to the public version of the app and they get a ton more data, hopefully they will be able to, I'm sure they will make changes then, but we can already see stuff that needs to be changed now. And I'm not sure like, yeah, it'll be nice to have more data to show that, but I don't know. Can't we already see some of that now is my point. And rant, guys. I don't know. What, what did you What did you think about this? Need more data? Uh, um, I think we have enough data to suggest that half demon small folk need to be nerfed. Um, it's quite frankly, it's a miracle that they dodged the first nerf hammer. Um, they were stronger than elf on wizard when they nerfed elf for wizard. So um, I'm yeah, kind of surprised that small folk and uh, half demon have still been untouched. If anything, small folk's been buffed because. Sorry, uh, Half Demon's been buffed because when they shipped it, it was actually bugged and not work as intended. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's not necessarily a buff though. That's just a bug fix. But No, but yeah, it's I'm, the same thing, right? Yeah, and it's the same thing with the, even with the wizard, even if we're not talking about ancestries, like the wizard Ruby, a lot of us saw that. Like, this is unsustainable. You can't have all this econ yeah. with the wizard. It's just going to get out of control. And yeah. here we are, you know, quite a bit of time later when things haven't changed yet. And they still have, and that's in the main app or the public app, right? Where they have more data than the beta. Uh, anyway, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an argument that can be made and it's a valid one. We need more data before we make decisions, but I don't know. You also have lots of people telling you things, giving you observations. You have high, highly skilled players with their results. We have hero, we have our own hero helper data, et cetera. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like, and the other thing is like, um, <laughs> I'm kind of letting it all out at once here and forgive me. It's a little scattered. Brain, Go on. You're, you're on the couch, Jig. This is a therapy <laughs> session. Let it rip, man. This is- <laughs> no, and it's not even, and I hate to sound critical because I, I'm at, I came out uh, pretty, you know, uh, optimistic, actually, pretty happy with the state of things after listening to that interview, even though I might yeah. sound like, might not sound like that now. Uh, the other thing is what he was saying, like, um, you know, uh, Lots of board games, you know, people just played a handful of times. They think they got their money out of it and they're happy with it and they might not be balanced, you know, but this game here realms, people are playing tens of thousands of games. It's like, yeah, yeah, we are. That's the type of game it is. It's a deck building card game that you play a lot. And, uh, you know, that's part of the fun with it. So, and I get it. Like he's in this, they're making a game where their bar is probably a little bit or quite a bit higher in terms of replayability and balancing that other developers have to deal with. I get it. That's a total valid point. But if, if that's the case, don't make freaking deck building card games. Make something else that 
that doesn't have that bar attached to it, you know? So kind of, and I'm not digging at Rob too much here, even though it sounds like it, forgive me, Rob, even though he probably doesn't listen to this anyway. Um, kind of saying like, we're in this tough spot because we're making this type of game is that's because it's the type of game you chose to make. That's kind of, it comes with the, it comes with the territory. So it just kind of, uh, you just got to deal with it. That said, it's a tough, it's a tough spot playing a game this complex with these many levers and this, this many balancing, uh, you know, X factors everywhere is total. It's, you're not going to be able to perfect this. We all get that. Uh, that said, yeah, this is a continuing thing about the balancing and the, uh, the process that goes on. Uh, and I guess I'm just, you know, letting, letting it out a little bit. I'll stop here guys. But what, what do you think about this? Do you have any reactions to any of this stuff? Uh, so I feel like uh, you make a, a lot of good points there. I totally get where you're coming from. For me, the idea of balance, like this uh, platonic ideal of balance, as you alluded to, is unachievable. And what really you have to be answering the question of, is the game fun? And is the game still fun after you've played thousands of games? Because that's what we're really like trying to look at here. And so, you know, like you cannot play fighter versus cleric a thousand times and still have fun. It's kind of where, you know, it's at. And it's like, that is the, I think the sort of, uh, when you, when you are banging the balancing drum, that is the sort of thing you're talking about. You're not asking for 50-50 matchups across the board for all decisions that get made. You're saying, like, this is not a fun matchup to play over and over again. And there's not, like, a version of the builds that, that addresses that. Is I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of, like, my perspective on it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no. Yeah. You said you said it. I was getting a little uh, rambling and emotional there, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, and again, no, I'm not I'm, trying to be critical about anything. I think they're doing their best. Obviously, they're doing their yeah. best, but it, and that's it can where be a I want to give yeah, frustrating. I want to give uh, Joel the props for the survey that he did. He put out this survey, and what was the crux of that survey? What is fun? You know, like that's what he wanted to know. And I hope that like when people <laughs> I worry a little bit that like when he opened that can of worms, people like gave him like a million ideas of how to like balance everything and what's wrong with the game. And he kind of like opened that door for himself. But, you know, for me, the context of that survey was what is fun. And that's the angle I tried to address it from myself. So and he's going to try to get that to Rob and Rob had, you know, he's like aware of it. He acknowledged it and he's going to be reviewing it. So I hope that some of the um, strong repeated opinions are taken to heart by this group of people that ultimately just want the game to be as good as it can be. Um, And that's another thing though, is that like for us, this dedicated fan base and community, this is kind of like our number one game. I don't, I don't know if it's quite like a lifestyle game in the same way games like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering are. But for us, it kind of is a lifestyle game because we're like making content and very like dedicated to it. But like Wise Wizards, it is not their main game. They have so many uh, pans on the stove, pots on the stove, as it were, that like... And I don't I don't want to say that, like, we're more focused on this game than they are in any way, because that's not true. But there's like maybe like certain elements of minutia that they aren't aren't seeing the same way. 
maybe. Yeah, no, I, actually, I, I disagree with you. I do think we are more focused on this game than they are. <laughs> like, really, in terms of. I didn't of, want like, to say. Know, it. I didn't want to commit to. And that. I don't mean that, like, in, if you. It, I'm just saying, in terms of highly skilled players who are playing the crap out of the game and like trying to break it and try to push boundaries and try to find the things. We definitely have more people within just our little community. They're just players who love the game. Right. In that sense. Yeah. I think we've got more people working at it. Yeah. I'm not saying we're better balancers and I've actually told Phil show this too. Like I actually do think they're pretty good at making the changes. It's just, the data they're looking at to base those changes off of, that's the problem. They're looking at the wrong stuff when they make their decisions. Uh, and I, I, w- I wish they would look, and we've talked about this before, but I wish they would look less at overall winning percentages and look more at kind of uh, more detailed, specific matchups or maybe highly skilled players playing dirt, certain things over and over again to see right. where the imbalances occur. And I don't really think they're doing that yet. But, you know, Rob well, says... We don't have enough people to do that yet, and maybe as a point, but I kind of, I kind of disagree. But I want to pop in there again, though, and bring up Joel, and maybe Filter can back me up there on this a little bit. But wasn't Joel asking questions about the hero helper data and the meta mashup data and stuff like that? So, like, if we can get Wise Wizards' eyes on our community centric data, that could go a long ways. Is that true? That Joel said something about that. Yeah, um, Joel was asking me to include uh, rules versions uh, and core versions in uh, the monthly meta mashup posts so that he could compare and contrast with his own data that he had. Um, so whatever we can do to I, serve that up to them on a platter, Which means he's reading them. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that uh, in terms of the balance and stuff like that... Um, We have kind of talked about that pretty in depth. One thing that we could segue a little bit to is what the overall roadmap of what he said retail was going to look like. Filtro, do you have a handle on that? Can you give us the kind of recap of what we got out of the interview? Yeah, so for retail, um, I think it's important to bring up at this point that level 16 should be arriving to beta very soon. Um, because that does tie into the retail roadmap to some extent. Um, So yeah, we should be getting level 16 very soon, which will then be followed through with the every two or three weeks getting another two levels in a very rapid flurry of character progression that people like Zembu are going to (laughs) love. And yeah, so the actual retail roadmap at that point is we said, he said we're going to get an ancestry about once a month after Cleric. Um, I can imagine that might speed up a little bit than once a month, but I think the point of that is that it is a staggered release and they're doing it one at a time. Um, do, wait, wait, hold on, time out here, because this is important. So I think he said they're going to do an ancestry, a level, a level up, and some small promo, is that right? And try to do like a, a rotation like that? I forget how it goes, guys. Hopefully one of you guys would listen better than I did. I wasn't. I'm not sure if the Hunters and the um, Travelers was coming straight to production. I could be wrong. Um, there's just There was a lot of information that I didn't view, so I could just misremember. But... Well, no, he did say they were going to beta that beta test that first. But I thought yeah. he, they were going to do like a uh, – and I might be mixing the beta release stuff with the other stuff because they are going to do the beta level caps, I think, like once yeah. every couple – two or three weeks, he said, right? Yeah. I might be conflating those two things together. Yeah. But – um. 
and in terms of some other stuff uh, for the Dubs roadmap. Face. Dubs doesn't know either. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> we've just had a kick while we're recording. We've just had a Kickstarter update from Rob. Um, that's turned around and said that the arena, which we're going to get, which will probably, by the time most people are listening to this podcast, it'll be the one that's up live. So about 10 hours from whenever we're recording this, uh, that arena is going to have the dungeons card set in it. Whoa. So that is some very exciting news for a lot of retail players. They're going to have almost unrestricted access to uh, the dungeon Dungeons market card. anyway. Yeah, the dungeon markets, market, right? Not the yeah, not the characters, yeah. but yeah, the dungeon now, market is going can... to be in the next arena. Okay, wow. and they they control which characters you can play with, right? So yeah, so they they're going to have yeah, they're going to play their normal classes at level 12, 14, whatever it is, down level standard queue. I'm not quite sure but the dungeon market deck is going to be the market deck for the next arena. Um, in terms of other things for retail, I believe he said that we're going to get level 16 upgrades specifically into arena at one point. I don't think he was clear on the exact roadmap for that, but yeah, I believe I that, that will happen. And I imagine that's that going to be similar. Le- level 16 upgrades are going to be in a future arena for oh, retail. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Ada's just going to get level 16 and the level 16 upgrades are also going to be in an arena at some point in the near future. Well, it's smart. Right. It's, they're basically going to use arena as like a beta testing conduit now, which is yeah. what I've you been gotta love trying. That. That's yeah. Well, yeah. I've been saying they should open up everything <laughs> to all the players for like a month or so. Uh, but this is a smart way to do it. Cause then you can just do it only in the arena and not piss off the legendary backers. And then also involve the, uh, the quote unquote regular players. Um, and test a bunch I, of new stuff. Good stuff. I wonder yeah, if people are going to have to pay for their arena runs or if the arena runs will yeah. still be free. Well, you, no, you need gems, though. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's a good point because right now it is free. You can do like 99 times per month. Um, it's in the post. Anyone that's purchased the base game of Hero Realms will be able to participate in this dungeon arena for free. Uh, so this arena Beautiful. is going to be free. Wow. Uh, Breaking smart. news on the pod here. Nice job, Filtro. Catching that. Yeah. Uh, the- shout out to Daily for posting about it in the Sparks and Rec Patreon chat. So <laughs> smart. Now, but Rob did mention most of this in the interview, though. Like he did basically say this is what they were going to do with the uh, arena. But now he's actually putting it in writing and sending it out to all the backers, which is great. Hopefully that'll bring some people um, kind of back to the game and check it out who may have uh, taken a break from it. Um, and speaking of which, speaking of uh, another kind of interesting thing that I thought he mentioned in passing, and again, sorry for bouncing around here, but, um, did you guys catch when Rob was talking about like the online marketing? He was like, yeah, we need to do better online marketing and bring in the players <laughs> and, uh, get them yeah. on Facebook. And I was like, oh man, you know, and I'm not a marketer and there might be an untapped market there. I get it. Uh, but there are lots of players coming into the game. There are lots of players playing. If you look, even if you just look at the leaderboards, right, you see a bunch of players, uh, just the number of people that are playing there. You know there's players coming in. It's keeping those players that are coming in that we need to be worried about. And I think hopefully the steps they're taking to release a lot of this new content will go a long way in retaining players because I think we're seeing in my just total, you know, observation only, anecdotal uh, evidence only, I think we're seeing a lot of turnaround or we're seeing a lot of players come in, check out the game and then just kind of, you know, move away from it. Hopefully they come back. Hopefully we can retain some more as the game develops more. But um, that was kind of a promising thing. I'm not sure marketing uh, is the answer like in terms of saving your, or, you know, uh, increasing the, the, the player pool. It can't hurt, I guess. But what, what did you guys think about that when you heard it? 
I just remember him saying that he thought marketing was going to be mad at him for like committing to the Wednesday release or something like that. But it looks like they're uh, on track for some some rumbling tomorrow. This release of the Kickstarter update makes me wonder if we should still expect Cleric tomorrow or not. I feel like that would have maybe been alluded to if they were on track for that, but I'm not sure. It's mm. separate of the Kickstarter, so maybe not. Maybe I'm totally off base there. Because it has yeah. nothing to do with dungeons yeah. that they would be releasing cleric ancestries. So. Yeah. Good point. Okay, well, um, those are the big things that I had listed in, in terms of my checklist of things as I was listening there. Um, do you guys have any other reactions or like things you thought were interesting or wanted to bring up before we move on? Uh, I got a little bit. Filtro, did you have anything? I'm just excited. That's all. Um, I'm keen for the rapid flurry of level ups. Um, I think a problem they have specifically for ancestry data points is because there's so many different ancestries, it's very hard to get each one individually for each class. Mm -hmm. But the thing about level ups is you can remove ancestry from the equation and just go, when clerics have beta at level 14, they have this win rate. And then when they get to level 16, all the clerics, their win rate goes up by this much of the pool. And then when they go up to 18, the win rate goes up or down by this much as a pool. So mm-hmm. we can, we'll have, we should theoretically have enough data, even if it is in a rapid flurry, just because you don't really need to consider ancestry when you're looking at the effect of level ups on the classes overall. Hmm. Yeah. And I also think we're probably going to see a, uh, like a glut of certain types of builds. Like we're going to see a lot of uh, half demon clerics and we're going to see, what else? Maybe some small folk clerics. Maybe some. You could try elf, elf for clerics. the card advantage. Yeah, maybe some elf yeah. clerics. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait we'll... for someone to lose to an ogre cleric on ladder and go, "Damn, that looks so cool!" And then <laughs> they're going to go buy that ancestry pack and they're going to level up that ogre cleric and go, "This isn't actually that great." <laughs> what have I done? It's good. It's good. Someone's going to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll happen to somebody. Yeah, it will. But uh, yeah, no, that's interesting stuff, and it's an interesting point too about the data that we'll see and looking at at clusters or groups is, is the way to go. I think. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, I think that's pretty good for the reaction to Rob. Rob's. Oh no, Dub's got a few points. Wrap it up. I, I just had a couple little quick things in there. I'm excited too for, of course, where all this is headed. Um, I thought he like, and this is kind of like speaking to the retail version of the app. You know, he talked about like uh, they're going to come out with. He's talked about like the alternating release cycle. Did he kind of say something about like one of the things they'll be alternating in is new characters like are they going to introduce new characters to retail two characters at a time i thought he kind of like squeezed that little tidbit in somewhere maybe worth going back and listening but i thought you guys maybe had remembered that no i didn't either and i was listening you know i was i listened to the interview twice actually and i still i still haven't i'm still kind of fuzzy on some of it but um okay yeah there's a lot of information there they were going pretty fast uh I'm not sure. I didn't hear anything new about new characters, Dubs. Uh, but yeah, I I, I, I could be I wrong thought they were going to do. I, I do remember something about like bundling or not bundling, but doing like a. a He's going to do like ancestry. cards that add to the market, things that change your character. Cards yeah. that add to the market, things that change your character. Basically, and I think that that category of like things that modify your character is going to include. Uh, new classes. Ancestries. I think that he's going to slip new classes in there. I think ancestries counts as that. 
Yeah. So yeah, I um, yeah, okay. and I think that yeah. like so ancestry new levels and then maybe eventually counts as that or the something. new yeah the new dungeon we'll characters as well yeah. But um, one of the things on my mind a little bit is that like, are we going to continue to see this like delta between the beta server and the retail where like. I don't know, man. I don't. I hesitate to say this out loud, but like, I kind of feel like they're gonna take level twenty four away at some point. They're not gonna want to keep having all of us playing at level twenty four when the rest of the player pool is not playing at twenty four. I don't know. That's just kind of like my sneaking suspicion is that like some of the beta stuff that we've been testing. Once they're ready to like send this to print, I wonder if some of it's gonna get rolled back. And I'm not trying to be the <laughs> the voice of doom or speak it into reality, but I you guys have any Rob, concerns about that? No, Rob did say he they were planning on doing that at one point uh, in a yeah. kind of an offhand comment in a Wizard Weekly, I think. Uh, he was like, "I'm just worried about when we have to take it away" or something like that. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to direct quote it because I don't remember the source and I wasn't sure if I had imagined it. But I thought that somewhere in some of the Wise Wizards content I had seen. That was said. So I don't know. I'm not saying this is like a <laughs> watch out because this is coming, but it's something to think about. It's a, well, it, my thing is, is it, it'll just drive players away. They'll be like, oh, I can't play my characters anymore. I guess I'll stop playing. You know, it's probably well, there'll be a, what, what could happen. So a big pushback really, from the community. If yeah, and when yeah. that happens, there will be a pushback and there will be no, no winning on either way. I don't yeah, think you got to be careful about that. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with it. But you know, the sooner we can get everything together, uh, get that gap between the beta and the, uh, the public app erased the better in my opinion. But yeah. All right guys. Yeah. Oh, keep going. Deb. So what, you got some more. Um, yeah, I think overall though, I don't want to end on like a note of like the beta's going away and there's going to be this conflict cuz really what I do think is happening here is that there's going to be um I really feel like they kind of have their ducks in a row quite a bit here. This was like the testing and the unknown and we got to get dungeons out, but after this it's pretty laid out. The cards are already designed. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be talking about the hunters and travelers cards. They, you know, they, they could already be working on that. They have the ancestries done that they're going to slow roll release. They have the levels. Like, I really am optimistic that in 2024, we'll see a much more uh, steady release of content in uh, both versions of the game. And that's what I wanted to close the segment out on, is that I think we're going to be on the upswing of seeing more content for the game. And I'm thrilled about that. Agreed. And Cooper is saying the same thing. And I agree too. It's going to be a fun, fun ride guys. And we'll be here for it. We will be here for it. All right, guys, let's wrap this up and continuing moving on. We're, we're going to, we're already one hour in, but we're going to push through guys. We're going to try to quickly get through the second half of the burning your abilities segment. We started with Filtro in episode uh, 44, I believe. So let's segue into that right now. I keep waiting for a, a vocal to come in there, but there isn't on that one. Um, <laughs> what would you say you do here? Now we are right. in burning your abilities. How would you burn your abilities? 
Um, in the first segment when we did this, we made it through alchemist, barbarian, cleric, bar, druid, and fighter, I believe. We made it through the first half. We left the second half of part two, so we're just going to jump right into it, guys. We'll start with the monk. Um, monk's a fun one. I already know how Filtro is going to answer this, but I'm going to let him answer it anyway. A, what's the best monk ability? B, when do you burn it, Cooper? Um, so my opinion for the best monk ability is the heal 16, draw two cards. Um, I will add a quick addendum here that I think monk is probably the only class where all three abilities are a viable choice. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite outstanding in that regard, uh, where generally all three abilities are very good to have in a character, but I think the heal 16, draw two outweighs the rest. Um, it pretty much locks down aggro matchups. Um, with If you've got the damage one, going for damage races with Barbarian at the moment can be a little bit dicey, uh, but that heal 16 really helps you keep your armor on for a bit longer, which is really important in the matchup. Uh, and the more important bit of that ability is the draw two cards bit. And when you have six gold on turn one and draw two cards, find another two gold and buy that Tyranor, you'll feel great. Um, yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and I think you laid out a good situation when you use that ability, you know, like either you're in trouble against aggro or you want to make a push for a big buy. But I want to make a shout out to Rip. And I want to know if you guys had considered this at all or not, because I'm in love with this idea that is not without its risks or trade-offs, but actually at level 14, not taking hit points at all and going calm and leveling that up into focus and getting a second instance of your ability, focus is six health or draw one. And that actually has, uh, I know <laughs> you're cringing over there, Filtro, because it makes oh. you so light on your um, armor. Maybe it's not good for all matchups, but I do think as a monk, you want to have this trick in your pocket for some matchups at least, um, depending on what you're playing against. And I also think that you can modify other areas of your build if you take this ability but i this is not just like you have a draw two and a draw one so like oh you have a draw three now there's a lot more utility in it than that and i would not underestimate that you have a a draw one or a draw two there might be times where you only need to draw one to be able to get the reach to make the purchase there might be times where you need the two and you still have the draw one in your back pocket for later and so like then there's a situation where you need to draw all three so all those little examples of having a little bit of utility um, can really come up and be nice. So I wanted to shout that out. Uh, that was kind of uh, an epiphany to me that like, ooh, is this a candidate? Because I'm always curious about when do you take a second ability? Um, and Monk feels like an interesting candidate for it, depending on the matchup. Um, Go ahead, Go ahead Coop. I think it could be good if you're playing against Cleric, and I think it is bad against everything. I think that would be bad against everything else. Um especially if you're on Slippers. Slippers is definitely the better way to play Monk. I've experimented a little bit with the other armor, which is, you know, the one damage, one healing. And yeah, I went back to so, Slippers after experimenting and you need 40 health. is a very high threshold. And if you don't take health upgrades, you've only got 58. It's very easy to turn it off. Um, That's true. The other thing that you're doing in your build, though, I'm sure that you're on the skill that counts as having three actions that only fishes out of your discard. Um, Rip is on the skill that counts as one extra action, but lets you fish out of your deck 
or your discard, which gets you extra deck shaping utility, but additionally helps you guarantee that you're hitting your heal if you want and need it. So you have better access to your healing if you make that tweak to the build to help account for what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know I know the well, armor threshold is a big thing, but well, let's yeah. see what he does in the joust, guys, because he he thwumped me in the mirror with yeah. the build. So well, let's he's see where also he really good. In the he's joust. a really good player too. Yeah. If, with oh, him, yeah. it could be the play more more than the build. Uh, let me say this about fishing for the the healing too. Um, it, it seems better than it is. I think if you're fishing for healing out of your deck because you need to heal, you're probably in a bad situation. That means you're on your back foot, you're reacting, and you're not really playing the game that you should be. Uh, it's nice to have that option, but uh, I think um, for for the monk ability, uh, getting that second ability is going to be a bigger factor when we get higher levels, Dubs. And I yeah. think all these points you bring up are going to be really interesting play play strategies and things to think about in the future. But right now, the, it's just so much better to get that extra HP. You're going to yeah. lose badly to aggro matchups as monk without that well, and that's what i wanted to call out that yeah it's very like matchup dependent but that like if you can respec into this for the right matchup it, it could be really good yeah, and i can I, see that <laughs> i totally yeah. plan on trying it i might get blown out we'll see i love drawing cards so i'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah i yeah i do think it's a great point to bring out though the once we do get higher levels monk is going to be a big benefactor of that oh yeah um oh yeah like again, the, all the three abilities, abilities are good like some classes really only have one good ability that they want to be looking at but monk's got three good abilities and yep. being able to pick and choose which two you want is going to be very impactful yeah that's gonna be a fun thing and that'll be yeah that's something we could have talked about earlier too but that's a whole another discussion uh, talking about the second abilities but uh right now we're just talking about burning your first ability so right now at level 14 we can yeah. speculate a little bit but let's not walk off too far off yeah. the tracks um, uh, let's jump in maybe oh, go ahead so maybe just some quick comments about the other two good abilities because i haven't brought them up yet um so the damage the right side one deal 14 damage to target player or champion um and draw a card if you stun a champion right yeah you pretty much want to be using that for damage most of the time the um the if you're using it on champion things have gone terribly wrong um Mm -hmm. but if you do use it on a player you're generally using it to either kill them or turn off their armor um that's how you should be looking at that yep and then the middle one does both not quite as well as either I know some players do like that utility. Um, I tend to find that a lot of the time it's usually best to build your build to do one thing well. Um, but having that flexibility can be good, and you, you can either use that for the heal draw effect or you can use it for the emergency damage button. Um, so it's like some good flexibility to have, but generally you probably want to use that for the heal draw or cut. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think that's good for Monk. Uh, play it, guys, if you haven't been playing it. Monk is awesome, and the abilities are good. Uh, let's talk about the Necro next. Um, the Necro is a class I have not played a ton of, especially outside of the one build that I use. Uh, I use the uh, ability, and I'm not even sure if it's the best one, but I think it is, where if you you can resurrect a champion that has been stunned last turn on either from either discard pile and put it into play, and you, I think you gain the health equal to its cost as well. So you have a chance to steal. And your opponent loses health equal to its cost. So you get a Thank double you. swing and yeah, you steal. So that's huge. Or you're resurrecting you... your own even. I, yeah, I think that's worth own. calling out. Yeah. And actually buying 
a, a strong champion as your first buy with Necro, if you have this ability, is a good strategy to use because then you can get you're gaining the health and dealing damage of that cost as well when you do yeah. so. And you Stitcher's market um, to the top, and you're doing the Necro thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when do you do it? Uh, in my opinion, I th- <laughs> you do it when you have a good target, <laughs> when you have a yeah. good strong champion target to use it on, which means it's not like an early. Uh, one of the things I like about Coop's play style, and it's similar in mine, not always, but usually, is I love burning abilities for good cards right away, even though in the what would you do earlier, I said not to do it. Typically, burning your abilities to jump out to an early start is a good thing to do. Unfortunately, the Necro is not, or at least that uh, that ability is not built for that. It's more of a mid-game type of um, ability, but... That might also explain kind of why the Necro sucks a little bit. But uh, what do you guys think? Do you have anything different to say about Necro ability timing? I would shout out, um, keep an eye out for when you can pull off some factioning with your ability. I love that. I've had a couple niche situations where I was able to steal something and then all of a sudden faction a card that I wasn't able to previously. And that was pretty fun. Um, And then the only other thing that I'll add in is that I tested a little bit of the the far left which lets you get three things that were stunned and it was just too situational that you can't uh really feel like you get three good targets ever so reawaken just turns out to be the one that you just can use it and feel like you get good value out of and and that's what i've been settled on and that's what it feels like the community settled on too i haven't really seen too many people run the necro them. needs healing too you really need some healing and that's a really important source of it yeah Yep. Another another thing I'll add uh, is tempo good um, is a phrase that's thrown around a lot in our card games. So if you can get a big board of skeletons out and you can you know revive a big guard, opponent might not be able to deal with it all. So yep. look out for those circumstances as well, where you can just get a giant row of champions, or even if you've got a few skeleton warriors up and you can stick, you can like steal one of their like a Brolin or something. I was playing mm. against. Um, I think it was Zembu in the uh, Necromancer brawl, and he had my Brolin on his board for three turns. It's very Ouch. sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing you lost uh, that one. You probably yeah, I did. <laughs> yep, that's how it works, right? Um, but these are times when you use the necro ability. All right, that's pretty good. I, we don't have to spend too much time on that. Um, let's jump into the ranger next, guys. And this is another interesting one. Uh, Coop, I'm going to let you go because I think this is a good, another good place to display your mantra of ability use. Uh, yeah, so what I'd do for Ranger is exactly what I said in the what would you do. Uh, you burn Snapshot to get an early card advantage and then run with it. Um, usually when you're playing a 4-3 range attack and you've got the Snapshot which returns two arrows, um, generally your first turn you won't burn Snapshot unless, you're like, unless you've got two gold and there's a rot sitting there against the Cleric. You're like, mm, maybe I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> and then you go fishing, just, just that one card, just to get that third gold. Um, but usually you'll burn it on your on your second or third turn, depending on how your arrows have lined up. And then you'll um, try to climb up into a big, like, eight-coster, like a Tyranor or a Crime Spree or something, you know, something that's really impactful early game, uh, or getting, like, a pair of Rots or a pair of Elven Curses. Like, you just want to get a nice little spike early and then cycle through your deck. And when you've drawn all those cards, you might even be able to flip your deck and then have all those cards purchased as a nice pile of five for your next turn when you do that in the process. So, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure all high-level rangers are very familiar with this play pattern 
including okay. dubs. He does. Like, yeah. I know he's going to say exactly what I'm saying, where you just go for that big purchase and flip your deck so it's all sitting there for you next turn. I'm going to make a shameless plug for my Ranger article on realmsrising.com. Command F for mini smooth heist. <laughs> and you'll find the section where I wrote about how the Ranger snapshot can function as a miniature smooth heist. That was my claim at the time and uh you know i'll somewhat stand by it for sure nothing mm-hmm. too much to add great recap there filtro thank you yeah good all right i think that kind of covers it for the ranger basically guys don't use your ability to kill champions if you yeah. are you're playing the ranger <laughs> unfortunately <now>. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true occasionally okay. your opponent might get a big champion into play in like turn four or five and you haven't had any arrows in your discard and then you accidentally stun a champion while snapshotting and that feels great but yeah that's one that's one case where it might work you're you're accidentally stunning champions at that point not doing it deliberately you know i could also see possibly you know if a bard gets a really nice champ out early then using it there that could be another thing where you might want to burn it but yeah you're probably in trouble anyway all right good i think that's good on the ranger uh thief all right now thief is actually you know what let's let's do thief last Let's do wizard Ooh, first, and then thief. The thief, here. the thief abilities are, are a, a bigger discussion. Uh, wizard is less so, I think, because in my opinion, there really is nothing else except explosive fireball. You can make a case for burning. Barely. People have argued for searing fireball, which is just the seven damage, just to go straight aggro. But if we're being honest, guys, the utility you get out of explosive fireball is just so valuable insane you should not be choosing anything else um my favorite use for the explosive fireball is to get discards is to make your opponent discard champs out of their hand it's not always the right thing to do but if you know you can have a really good chance or uh, you know for sure you have uh you're going to make your opponent discard two or three champions you do it and it's one of the most glorious feelings in the game um, another time to use it, obviously, is for market lock. If you see a market locked with all champions, if you drop your explosive, your opponent will not be able to buy anything on their next turn. Again, not always the right call, but if you always keep an eye out for it, because sometimes a well-placed market lock can seal a game for you. Uh, huge swing in the tempo. If you can lock them out, you're basically making them skip a turn. You know, early like, game. You either give fire gems or nothing. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, so there's one, one example and then I'll stop one, one example. Then I'll stop. If you can get a bunch of good cards in your deck, uh, for example, or buy a good bunch of cards into your discard, you notice that the, uh, market is all champions. You have another draw or some other way to reshuffle your deck and lock down the, the market. Now, basically you've bought a bunch of good cards, shuffled them up kind of like what, you guys were just talking about with Ranger and blocked your opponent from buying anything their next turn. You're set up for your next turn. And basically you've gotten like a free turn against your opponent where they're kind of handcuffed. They're unable to do anything and except sit back and watch you blow, run away with the game. It's kind of an unfair thing that happens with the wizard sometimes, but if you're watching (laughs) and pay attention, you can make it happen. Okay. That's what I've said my bet on the wizard abilities guys. What, What else you got? Um, I'd just like to add in one more uh, use case. Um, sometimes you'll see that your opponent's set up for an econ turn. Um, so, you know, like you, you'll, you'll look at their deck shuffle and you go, hmm, they've got like multiple golds, like a bribe, some fire gems, you know, those like just, they're all just sitting there. And then you're looking at that market row and there's a Tyranor there, there's a Grok there, and you're like, 
I don't want them to have this. They can set up this. They can have this econ turn another time, and then you just hit that fireball. Even if Grak or Tyranor is that only champion there, just go. This cha- this champion is so game changing that I cannot let my opponent have it. Yeah. Um, and then because I'm playing, you're playing wizard anyway. You'll still have a bunch of econs, so you probably just win the race to it at that point if you've disrupted their econ turn. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. You don't need a full champion market lock. Even just a partial one works. Another great one too is if there's just crappy actions. Like if there's one or two good champions and just a bunch of crap actions, using your fireball can be another good. Uh, it good counts thing. as a market lock because those cards are like clogging up the market. So yeah. you're forcing your opponent into a bad decision. Either you have to fish and add this bad card to your deck. And guess what? If a champion flips, you're still not going to be able to buy it. <laughs> so you're still like low odds or whatever. Yeah, this is great yeah. stuff. Um, I wanted to say, Jig, you totally showed me the way I like used to play the explosive fireball knowing that if i could get my opponent to discard like that was one of the modes or one of the things you can get value out of it but like the 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 amount of value you get by your opponent not being able to play those cards is huge not they're they're never coming into play they're never having an effect on that deck cycle it's like they weren't even there and then they have to shuffle and draw them again before those cards ever have an impact on the game and then as their champions, we already know they're like susceptible to being bottom deck too. So like you can really um, blow someone out of the water with that. So you I can think tilt that, your opponent really... too. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said. It's a really frustrating thing to have happen to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if, you can make your, if you can make your opponent frustrated, go for it. Um, a there's a couple other quick hitters that I wanted to call out that um, are interesting cases for using your fireball. Um, I know that it's such a blowout of a matchup that it's hardly worth mentioning, but against the cleric, you usually want to wait to fireball until after they have resurrected. If you're trying to clear their board, if you're using your fireball to clear their board, then they are just going to resurrect and get their stuff back. So that's something to think about there. And then a lot of times in the, wizard mirror this is like a general heuristic so this is like a rule that you can break sometimes but usually in the wizard mirror you don't want to fireball first true or false guys what do you think just as like a general rule of thumb fireball fireball first if you're very far ahead so if you're if your deck is like very far progressed compared to your opponents like you've gone first you've bought a bunch of cheap actions and a few good champions um, and then your opponents and your opponents robes into an econ turn, then you fireball. But I'd say every other situation you want to be the person fireballing second. Because yeah, yeah what, usually. can you look, yeah. Coop? Can you describe the play pattern of what happens if I I'm not far ahead of you and I fireball first? What happens? So you fireballed first. Yep. And then so you've you you then have your next turn. It's whatever came out of your deck. And then I'm sitting there going, okay, I can't buy champions this turn. I know it's in my hand. I'm going to fireball double dubs. He can't buy these <laughs> champions next turn. And then I'm going to robes and set up an econ next turn so that I can then go buy these champions the dubs didn't want me buying to begin with. Um, exactly. So I've, I've got the agency there. I can set up my <laughs> robes and I'll get that first choice. There it is. And so that's why you generally don't want to fireball first in the wizard mirror, but be aware of times that there's exceptions to that. Let's yeah. keep it rolling over to yeah, the thief. Yeah, good right? stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the thief. Uh, all right, now this is another class I think where we have multiple good abilities. I'm not going to say all three of them are equally viable. Smooth ice is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, 
so let's start. I, I, we'll start with Smooth Heist. Smooth Heist is the one that lets you uh, buy a card from the market and then a second card of equal or lesser cost. And if either card is three cost or less, they go directly into play. It's arguably the best or the strongest, or at least one of the strongest uh, abilities in the game when it works. It has uh, the highest favorite, ceiling. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, when it works, it can it can really seal games sometimes. Yeah. Even though, or I, even though not, yeah. I think it also works enough of the time that it is just the best ability in the game. Um, it most it's most so games it works. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Most and games our, it works. Yeah, it does in one way or another, right? In one way or another. Yep. And again, this is another one too. You don't want to be waiting too long. You want to use this as quickly as possible. Ideally, before your deck shuffles once is the best time to use it, or definitely before the second shuffle. Uh, my favorite usage of it is getting the three cost cards directly into play. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to get like econ slash discard cards or cards that faction off each other give me extra econ so i end up with more money than i had when i spent it which allows me to buy a third card from the market and just get off to a huge start and you know the great thing about the smooth ice is it can make your opponent feel like they're in this huge hole and they're really tilted a little bit even though it's not as bad as it seems like the thief gets off to a really fast acceleration and then kind of peters out a little bit afterwards Good players know that, and they weather the storm, and they keep going. Other players will kind of get a really – watch you get a really good smooth ice and kind of get deflated, and they'll, they'll lose yeah. their fight, which is another thing to think about. On so. my most recent stream, I had a pretty average smooth heist on turn one, and my opponent immediately conceded. <laughs> was it a, a rando in the queue? Yeah, it wasn't even a good – like, I was playing a real-time game. It wasn't okay. even that great. Like, it was a pretty average smooth heist. Like, I think I went, like, bribe and – uh, Ruby and then bought like a six or a seven cost or something. So, sorry, uh, bribe and a fire gem, and he just immediately conceded. I was like, oh, okay, wasn't even that good. <laughs> I misplayed it. I could have done it better. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, too. And, and that's a great thing about the smooth ice is you can get. And by the way, if you see two seven or eight costs in the row and you can afford them and get both of them, that's another avenue to take. You won't get them into play, but you're going to get two awesome cards right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, that's another flexible use for them. Um, personally though, my favorite is the into directly into play stuff. So you can just get off to a huge, strong start and, and try to run away, run away with yeah. it. Um, also look out for action synergies. Time? Yeah. Um, two cold, cold priests can look pretty, you know, oh, average in the market favorites. when there's two cold priests sitting there and you can smooth heist them. That's, uh, it's effectively minus one econ if you use both the cold priest for econ and there's at least eight damage sitting there on the faction and that's a lot that's a big number and then you've got eight health sitting on the board that your opponent has to clear next turn which can be very difficult for a lot of characters early game yep it's an almost an auto win if you can get unless your opponent has really high damage in their character class but yeah. Uh, all right. Smooth heist. I think we're good. Uh, we've talked about the main things. How about the other? How about masterful heist? Masterful heist is the one where you can steal one card from your opponent's discard, and then get a second card from the market of five cost or less. I believe that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, now this is another really good one. It takes a little more finesse sometimes. It doesn't have quite the high uh, success rate. I think smooth heist does but it can be a really effective tool and you're, it forces your opponent to try to play around it a little bit, which is, there's something to be said about that. What do you guys think about masterful ice? I love it. 
Um, you know, it's kind of a great one to go with the boots build and the controlling play style. And like, I'm going to control the market and the first good purchase you get, I'm going to steal it from you, (laughs) you know, like, and then I'm also going to take something good off the row at the same time. And, um, yeah, it can be super fun. Right. Yeah. It doesn't always line up, uh, as well as that. And, um, like the ability of the opponent to play around it that you mentioned is um, you're describing it as a positive because they have to play around it. And I like that. And I think that's true. But then there's also the other side of that, that they, they can sometimes play around it. You know, the wizard is robesing a card until they shuffle. The ranger is triggering a shuffle, et cetera, et cetera. So there is that side of it. And so with regards to when to use the ability, I do like to use it pretty much as early as possible if i have a reasonable target i'm gonna be trying to go for it especially if i can line that up also with something off the row there's a really fancy trick you can do <laughs> you if if there if you don't have enough econ um like say you got all knives and a ruby and a gold or something like that but there's an awesome five coster there's a wolf form on the row you can steal a fire gem from your opponent and get that wolf form for free and that is something to keep in mind when you're playing with Masterful Heist that will come up for you. You should not hesitate to do that if uh, you're going to get great value off your purchase there. Or maybe you're going to like you're getting pressured. And if you do a play like that, you're going to be able to get the card off the row and use your uh, skill. So that's another time where that comes up. So you can actually use Masterful Heist to help with economy in ways that aren't initially obvious. Yeah. Um, I just want to, yeah, pretty much everything that Dub said uh, is what you want to do. Um, use it as soon as possible. And I think the things you're really looking out for are to steal from your opponent, uh, sacrifice, discard, and bombs. Um, yeah. I don't think you're really trying to steal anything else from them. Uh, you're either going for those big, powerful cards if your econ lines up, you know, your big eight cost chat, your big eight seven costers, or some really powerful fives like will form a command. Um, especially early game for those five, like cards like Command are really good to steal early game as well in particular. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, discard and sacrifice are critical to a lot of late game scenarios on boots, if you, especially if you're running boots um, or even mask. If, you can, if you're running mask and masterful heist, you can steal a really powerful three cost action like Rod or Elven Curse or Raiding Party. They're Go also really good things to look, look out for. Um, you don't have to steal your opponent's bombs. Sometimes stealing a spark's good enough. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point too. Like, don't wait for their best card. If you can get a good card now, do it right because you might not get another chance for a while. So uh, don't wait too long to 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 pop those abilities. Um, the third thief ability is so shitty. I think we can skip it, guys. I, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, it, practice it's just not heist. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just need the market to line up so much for it that people don't really roll with it. Yeah, part, part, part of me wonders if we have uh, two level 24 abilities. Uh, so if we have two max level abilities, does an OTK exist? If you yeah, have one turn heist kill. and smooth heist, <laughs> can you like put a firebomb into hand and then something else? And like, there's, there might be some really weird combination of cards. I bet you there is, does, yeah. Does there's it gotta exist? Be, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's enough damage because realistically, you'd be killing like an elf necromancer. That's the smallest HP pool you can get. That'll be forty-one because okay. obviously you can't OTK your small folk. Um, right. 
But ah. does doesn't OTK exist? That's all I'm concerned about. <laughs> we'll it's never going to happen in it. practice, but does it exist? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting stuff. All right, guys, uh, that was really good. We have blown through all of the different abilities. Um, just one quick note here at the end, guys. I think it's kind of interesting. The cleric, the druid, the necro all have abilities that you typically don't use right away in the first, you know, your first deck. They're also three of the weakest classes. Coincidence? I think. Yeah, because using your ability to get that tempo surge is so huge. Um, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, just just one thing I noticed. Anyway. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap it up here and head into the long-awaited, eagerly anticipated monthly meta mashup. 